I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3 this morning. Again, Ruth chapter 3 there in the Old Testament right after the book of Judges. 22 years ago this May, I proposed to my wife, Danielle. Uh, I tell you, nowadays, proposals are like huge productions. I mean, you actually have wedding proposal directors. I mean, they're, they're literally budgets for wedding proposals. I mean, with a hidden camera crew, celebrity cameos, helicopters flying overhead. I mean, you just got a full orchestra, you know, circus in the background. I mean, there's just all kinds of things because sort of the goal of wedding proposals, and again, I'm not, I'm sort of being facetious here, but there, there is sort of an expectation in 2020 that, uh, that, that this could be sort of viral, and we want to share it, uh, our, our love for one another. The, the late 90s, when I proposed to my wife, Danielle, was a, a much simpler time. We didn't have to have mob reenactments of key scenes from our favorite Disney movies. You know, we didn't have to do those kinds of things. So so if if somebody was just passing by where I proposed to Danielle, it was memorable for us, but it was just fairly forgettable for anybody who just didn't know us. Uh, I had a little scavenger hunt. Danielle had to go to these different places that were important in our marriage or, excuse me, in our dating life. And I had like the last rose. And so she came back to this park where we, we had our first date, which is right there adjacent to the campus of Mississippi College. And so I, I don't remember much about what I said, but I just remember being overly, uh, just completely nervous. I was 19 years old. When I proposed to Danielle, and we were really poor and really uncertain of the days ahead of us, but we were certain of this, that God had called us together, and we were certain of his call upon our lives. I didn't know that a year and a half after that, we'd be loading up a U-Haul, moving to Birmingham to, to start a seminary at Beeson Divinity School right down the road, but each way, each step, you know, in the 21 years of our marriage, he's just given us enough light to take the next step, given us enough light to take the next step. Now, I'm reflective of my wedding proposal, and I want you to be reflective of your wedding proposal because Ruth chapter 3 is a wedding proposal unlike anything that you've probably ever heard of. I mean, just, that's not facetious. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, it is a, it is a unique wedding proposal there in uh, this little book of Ruth stuck between Judges and 1 Samuel. It's easy to miss it. It's just four chapters it's a story of, of mourning, loss, grief that heads to a wedding celebration. It heads to, uh, to our own hope as, as followers of Jesus. It, it starts, though, with a famine. The famine is in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means, means land of bread, land of plenty. There's a famine in the land of bread. So Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they go to Moab, right, right across the border there, arch rivals of the Israelites. They sojourn there. They have two sons. The two sons marry Moabite women. And then, before we can even scatter the seed on them as they leave the church sanctuary after the weddings, I mean, one verse later in chapter one, we're doing funerals. We we got two weddings followed by two funerals. Uh, Both sons die. Naomi's husband, the patriarch of the family, dies. And so Naomi is left a widow. She's got two daughter-in-laws that are widows. They're here in Moab. And she says, Naomi, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back to Bethlehem, the land of plenty. 
And so in doing that, she says to Orpha, one of the daughter-in-laws, and to Ruth, one of the daughter-in-laws, go, get, go home to your people. I don't, I don't have anything for you. I'm, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And Ruth stays with her. One of the daughter-in-laws says, your people, well, guess what? They're going to be my people. Your land, guess what? It's going to be my land. Your God is going to be my God. Wherever you go, Naomi, I'm going with you. So they go back and God has, has instituted in his law a, a, something that is called gleaning. It was for the immigrants of the day. It was for the destitute, the widows of the day. And you could show up on someone's field and there were portions of the crop that they would leave for the destitute, for widows, for immigrants. And it just so happened that Ruth goes onto a person's field and it just so happens that the owner of that field is a guy by the name of Boaz. And it just so happens that Boaz catches the eye of Ruth. And it just so happens that they talk and it just so happens that this is a person of character. And it just so happens that he's related to Naomi's husband. He's part of the family. Ruth, she doesn't know any of this. She comes back at the end of Ruth chapter 2 Naomi says, where did you get all of this food? And we've got weeks of food here to eat. And she says, well, I, I just happened to go into the field of a guy by the name of Boaz. And Naomi just jumps out of her shoes. She's so excited. Boaz, are you serious? He can be one of the kinsman redeemers. Now, for us in 2020, what in the world is a kinsman redeemer? What does this mean? Well, again, it goes back to the law of God. It just so happened that God in his infinite wisdom institutes in Deuteronomy chapter 25 a law that if, if a person dies childless, if the husband dies and the widow is left and the widow doesn't have a child, that the closest relative could be the kinsman redeemer and continue the lineage. And so Naomi is she's, she's connecting the dots. You just so happened to go to Boaz's field. He just so happened to be there. He just so happened to be gracious to you. He just so happens to be uh, one of our kin. Maybe God is working all of these things together. It seems like coincidence. It's not coincidence. It's providence. So Act 3 opens. Solitary spotlight upon Naomi. She's scurrying about the stage. She's not a sulking, grieving mother, sulking, grieving uh, widow of her husband. No, no, no. She is strategizing. She is planning. She is active, and she is going to work some things out for Ruth. Read with me in Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were working there in the fields in Ruth chapter 2? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. 
Now, it's easy to misunderstand what's going on in this passage. It's easy to write Naomi off as sort of a pushy mother-in-law trying to get in the way of what Ruth wants to do and needs to do here. But understand, Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth needs her mother-in-law to be able to help her navigate the law of the kinsman redeemer here. She doesn't understand the laws of Judaism. And so what, what, what Naomi is doing is, is informing Ruth of an opportunity. Remember, this is before pension funds. This is before Social Security. There is no net for Ruth and Naomi to fall back on here. It is the net of God's sovereignty that Naomi is casting Ruth upon here. It is the providence of God that Naomi, the mother-in-law, is able to connect the dots and say, maybe this is connected to this and this is connected to this. So you need to go and, and, and go to the threshing floor. Well, that's strange to us. We don't live in an agrarian age here. The threshing floor was a place where the harvest grain was bundled in the field, brought back to a space that's hard, stamped earth. They removed the husk from the kernels. Boaz and other men would bring their harvest together there and, and sleep together. It was a place of eating, of merriment. It was a place that they would protect their harvest from the thieves here. So Naomi gives instructions to Ruth. And Ruth does, well, you see it in verse 5, all that you say I will do. Naomi says, when he lies down, go and uncover his feet. And Boaz will tell you what to do next. This is strange, strange, strange. Threshing floors, lie at his feet, uncover his feet. What in the world is going on in the story here? Now, before we, we go further into the story here to see what happens when Ruth does what Naomi calls her to do, I think it's important for us to pause Pause the characters upon the stage of God's Word and to be able to delve a little bit into just what Naomi is doing because what Naomi is doing gives us insight in how we discover God's will for our lives. Notice the initiative of Naomi connected to God's will. Do you know God's will is discovered in and through your initiative? Do you know that God's will is not canceled out by a person's initiative? Oftentimes we think of God's will as completely mysterious. Sort of like the Jedi force that is ephemeral, elusive. It's something that we're trying to discern, but it's so far away from us. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, comes to the 12th chapter, verse 2, and he says, Christian, test approve God's will for your life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's something that's tactile about God's will. There is something that, that we're, we're, we're apprehending it, we're discovering it, we're taking steps to, to see. Naomi doesn't understand. She doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. She doesn't know that it is a foregone conclusion of how Boaz is going to react to Ruth. So she is, what is she doing? She's testing and approving. She is saying, Ruth, take this step, and then when you take this step of faith, God will give you just enough light to take the next step. There's times in our lives where we are paralyzed when we think of God's will, and we have false conceptions of God's will. We come into this, this place of, uh, of sort of hallmark cliches. Well, just let go and let God. Whatever's going to happen is just going to happen. 
And it really becomes a cover. It becomes a cover for us being passive. It becomes a cover for us being apathetic. It becomes a cover for us ultimately to be lazy spiritually. And what God calls us to is to pursue him, to test and approve his will for our lives. Naomi plots. She plans. She takes initiative here, and it's all a part of them discovering God's will for their life. Do you know God's will includes your initiative in prayer? Do you know discovering God's will for your life includes you opening up the Word of God and listening to His voice in the Word? Do you know discovering the will of God includes you seeking wise, godly counsel? calling someone and saying, hey, help me think through this. I've got this opportunity. I've got this opportunity. I've, I've run into this. Help me understand that. Sometimes in considering God's will, we, we have to pull out a sheet of paper. We got a column that says pros. We got a column that says cons. And we say, God, give us insight. We're writing this out. We're, we're asking God, help me, God, to test and approve which direction you're leading me to take here. Now, it doesn't always happen this way, but most often, God does not give you a 10-year plan of his will for your life. I'm not saying that he can't do that. But I'm just saying in my life he hasn't. And, and in no one's life as a, as a follower of Jesus have I heard him doing this. And I don't see evidence of this in Scripture. But some of us, we have this unrealistic expectation. God, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as you lay it out for me. I need it in Times New Roman, you know, like 14 font, God. I need it to be a 10-year plan. And I need all the T's crossed. I need all the I's dotted. And I want all of my questions to be answered. And then, God... I'll take a step. But often, God gives you and he gives me just enough light to take the next step. Ruth takes the next step. The scene closes. We can hear people scattering around the stage. It, we move to an agrarian scene. Naomi's off the stage at this point here. The, the lights that are illumining the stage are just the lights of a, of a dark night there in that ancient Near Eastern world. It's kind of mysterious. It's quiet. You can hear the, the wind blowing on the stage. And Ruth, she is tiptoeing in the dark of the night. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor. She did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she, Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man. Notice, notice the mystery. Notice Ruth and Boaz become the man. The woman, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Notice that Ruth, like Naomi, is active in her faith. 
Notice that Ruth, like Naomi, is coming before Boaz. And just as I did 22 years ago, there, and, and think about your proposal. Maybe it was, I know everyone in the sanctuary is not married here, but many of you are. And there's oftentimes something significant about that place. You're, 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 you're putting a book in on that first day. There, there was something significant about that restaurant. And see, this is what Ruth is doing here. In the darkness of the night, she lies at his feet. And in the first conversation they're going to have is, is that in this moment, Ruth does, well, she does something that Naomi told her not to do. Very interesting. Ruth is not just a yes woman here. Verse 9, she takes initiative. She nuances it, the, the plan. Naomi said that when he wakes up, he's going to tell you what to do. But Ruth, she takes it in her own hands. And in this moment, she speaks up and says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is interesting. In chapter 2 of Ruth, three times we get Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. Her foreign nature, her immigrant status is before us. But now as Ruth is speaking, she is identifying as, as one who has come to serve Boaz, to love Boaz. Now what she's doing is absolutely risky. So easy for us to misunderstand this. It's so easy for us to, to miss how vulnerable Ruth is in this moment. There are two things that Boaz could mistake Ruth for doing in this moment here. The, the first thing is in the darkness of the night at the threshing floor, that was a place of immense prostitution in that ancient Near Eastern world. So Boaz, Boaz could misinterpret her intentions as she comes. Secondly, this places Ruth in a place of extreme vulnerability. She's a single woman in the darkness of night coming into a place where you have merriment, you have people that are drinking, and she is threatened throughout the entirety of the scene to be assaulted here. And so what is Ruth doing? She is placing herself really uh, at, at, at the altar of God's providential care for her. And she's absolutely vulnerable before Boaz. Boaz in this moment could shoo her away. Boaz in this moment could misinterpret her intentions. Boaz in this moment could take advantage of her. Boaz in this moment could resent the invasive instructions of her mother-in-law. All of that's on the table. But Ruth moves forward with courageous vulnerability to discover God's will for her life. Do you know in discovering God's will for your life, it, it takes you being courageous and being vulnerable. A, a lot of us, we, we have an idea of God's will that it is our responsibility to come before God and lay before the feet of God our will for our life and ask God to bless it with his will. And what Ruth models for us, she models for us a, a posture of spiritual vulnerability. There are many of us that miss God's will for our lives. We miss his leadership for our lives because we are so concerned about having all the answers we're so preoccupied with having all of our own T's crossed and all of our own I's dotted, and we are take charge people. 
So instead of laying our best laid plans at the altar of God, we come to God saying, this is what you need to do. Ruth models for us a vulnerability. Boaz doesn't have to do anything for her. But notice in this moment that Ruth reminds Boaz of their first conversation. She reminds Boaz of Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, when Boaz sees her in the field and says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. This is what Boaz says to Ruth. Now Ruth comes before Boaz and says, Hey, you remember that first time we talked? You remember what you said? Guess what? I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth is saying, you're the answer to the prayer that you prayed for me in the field. God has led me to this place. Now, Boaz could say, ah, sorry, you got the wrong guy. I mean, it, it is just, Ruth is proposing to Boaz in this moment, and we miss the details of it. But what we're going to discover is, is Boaz is an older gentleman. He would never in a million years have thought of Ruth as, as, a, as someone who would have been a candidate for marriage to him. Secondly, we're going to discover in just a moment that, that there are other men who would have wanted to marry Ruth. So Ruth is taking the initiative to show, hey, I am moving from this place of mourning and I'm open to marriage. And it's in this moment, how will Boaz answer her? And the scene darkens. We're left wondering, how will Boaz answer her? But I do think it's wise for us to ponder just the courage it takes for you and for me to follow God's will. The courageous vulnerability that it takes for us to discern God's will. There are times where we miss what God desires for our lives because we fear the opinions of others. We fear, we fear the unknown before us. We fear that there are more question marks than there are actual answers. And so we're paralyzed by fear. And we sit in a place waiting, waiting and saying, I'm not going to take a step until God, you tell me everything that I need to do and everything that I want to know. And it's in that moment that God is saying, just take the next step. Be vulnerable before me. You don't have the answers. You have more questions. But when we are vulnerable before the Lord, oftentimes he, he moves in ways because all we have is him. We're casting ourselves before him. How will Boaz respond here? We have Ruth in her courageous vulnerability before Boaz. We have Naomi in her initiative in God's will. How will all of this come together? Will Boaz say, get out of here? What are you doing? Then we read his response, starting in verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Do you hear the music? It's like a crescendo. I mean, this is a romantic story. It has come to this place. The music has started. Everything is working out. They embrace one another. Yet, whoa. Is that in your Bible? 
yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. What in the world is Boaz doing here? We got them married off, we thought. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lay down, lie down till the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Boaz said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. She went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Naomi asked Ruth. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, verse 18, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. How does this work out? Boaz, instead of rejecting Ruth in this moment, is overcome with gratitude. The the word that we read here in verse 10 is sort of like a church word. It's easy for us to miss. But Boaz says, you have shown me kindness. The original Hebrew word is hesed. It's a word that is hard to sort of translate. It becomes clumsy because you have to really translate it with a phrase. It is the covenantal love and faithfulness of our God. And what Boaz is saying is, is that God has been covenantally faithful to you, Ruth, and you're showing me kindness. You're showing me kindness because you've shown to me that that we could be married, that I could be one of your redeemers here. I never in a million years would have thought you would have looked at me in that kind of way here because I'm so much older than you are. And there are all of these other guys. They could be rich, they could be poor, and they're all suitors for you, Ruth. But you've shown me kindness. You see, Boaz embraces this this initiative and vulnerability of Ruth. He embraces it. We've got Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. They've gotten to the top of the Empire State Building here. I mean, it's like a romance story here. I mean, this is just like a lifetime made for television kind of beautiful thing that's going on. And then all of a sudden, Boaz says, yet. Now, if, if, if you were able to be in the story, and if I was able to be in the story, It's at this moment that you sneak up behind Boaz, you tap him on the shoulder, and you say, Boaz, don't worry about the fine print. (laughs) You know, go ahead and reserve the church. Get the photographer. Go ahead and pick out the flowers. Let's go ahead and move on here. But no, 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 no. Boaz is not going to do that. You know why? Because Boaz is a man of integrity. Boaz is a man who is grounded by and governed by the word of God. We see it because he protects her reputation. He says, stay with me here. You're going to leave in the, in the morning because there's another person in this town who's a closer relative than I. And God's word says that the closest relative must know that he could be a redeemer to you. And so he, he is following the very details of God's word in Deuteronomy 25. He's not not casting it to the side. He is following it faithfully here. He's protecting her reputation, lest someone spread the rumor. Do you know where Ruth was last night? And then this redeemer be disinclined. There's nothing inappropriate in in the word here. This is a righteous woman, a righteous man coming together in this place here. But boy, people would talk. 
And so Ruth, is, Ruth is, is a person who is righteous. Boaz is a person who is righteous. And Boaz in this moment says, there's another guy and I've got to go talk to him about you. And if he's not willing to do this, we're moving forward. You know, there's some things you don't have to pray about. I, like, I know that's not something you often like hear on Sunday, but, but, but there's some things you don't have to pray about. Sometimes we make the will of God harder than it needs to be. But if you're here, and, and, and like Boaz, you're, you're following the word of God, and you're grounded by, and you're governed by the word of God, there's some things that you do not have to pray about. One thing you don't have to pray about is that when you travel down a road in opposition to the word of God, you are traveling on a path that is a detour from the will of God. When, when what you are doing is in direct opposition to the word of God, you, you are not on the path that is the will of God. You're traveling down a detour, no matter the, the little whispering in your ear that says, hey, nobody will know. It's okay. Know that that same whisper was in the garden saying, should, should you not eat of this tree? And the same deceiver that deceived Adam and Eve is the same deceiver that is still whispering. And the siren song of sin still calls us. And Boaz reminds us that when we're governed by and we're grounded by the word of God, we're able to discern the will of God. And when our desires are before us and when they're in opposition to the word of God, then we know it's a detour from the will of God. Boaz is a man of character. It's all working out. The the scene closes. There's still some hesitancy and uncertainty. What will happen? Will Boaz be able to marry Ruth with this other guy? We don't even know his name. Will he be the kinsman redeemer? The curtains are closing. But if you could sort of just look at the light with me. We got one person on the stage. And her name is Ruth. She's loaded down with barley, enough for weeks and weeks for her and Naomi. And if you look really, really closely, you see her blushing. She's moved from mourning and she's open to marriage. Maybe there's a tear streaming down her cheek, but it's not tears of sadness. It's tears of joy. The curtain closes, but the last word that we've gotten is Naomi saying to Ruth, wait. And you know something? That that might be instructive. It, It might be helpful for us. Because sometimes when we discern the will of God, we want him to show us exactly what we are to do, when we are to do it, right now. But as we discern the will of God, do you know that as we discern the will of God, that he, he uses waiting rooms in your life and my life? I hate waiting rooms. I hate them. I hate sitting there. I hate wondering about what, what is going to happen. When am I going to get back there? There's something about waiting rooms. You don't like them either. None of us like to wait, 
But you know, a part of discovering the will of God is oftentimes traveling through the waiting room of God's will for your life and my life. I don't know why he does it that way. But I do know this, that when we wait on the Lord, oftentimes we have to depend more upon him. Oftentimes we have to trust him more deeply. There's some of you in this room that you're in the waiting room. You're trying to discern God's will for your life, but you're in the waiting room here. You've prayed, you've sought wisdom and wise counsel, and and you're wondering, do do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I make this transition or do I not make this transition? And you're just trying to discern what step to take, but what you're hearing is wait. And that can be a difficult place to be. The checkup turned into a specialist visit and the specialist visit turned into scans and scans were interpreted and then another specialist visit and another specialist visit and you're just waiting on the clarity of diagnosis and that can be a tough place to be. You've worn your knees out. On your knees, in prayer, it's your son, it's your daughter, it's your uncle, it's your aunt, it's your coworker, it's your friend, and you're praying, God, capture their hearts. Let them come to their senses and come back from the foreign land and be embraced by a heavenly father that loves them. And you've been praying for days, you've been praying for weeks, you've been praying for months. Some of you have been praying for years and you wait Curtains close, and Ruth has to wait. And Naomi whispers in her ear, Boaz is a good man. He will tend to this quickly. And while we're waiting, we don't wait on Boaz. But we wait on the one whose character Boaz reflects. And no that when you wait, you're waiting, knowing this, that even when the next step is uncertain, that God is your refuge and strength, a very present help, even in that room of your waiting. That he's promised you that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, even when you're waiting. Don't lose heart when you wait. How will it turn out for Ruth and Boaz? Do you hear wedding bells? I don't know. We'll wait to next week. But as you wait, know that God is working all things together for you. Let us pray. So it is God that we come to you this morning grateful that while we wait, you are faithful. That while you, we wait, you are good. And there are times that we don't need to wait. We need to take the next step and courageously do what you called us to do. To serve, to write that card, to pick up the phone and make that call. To reach out to that person that we haven't talked to in a while. To be able to serve in a way that you're calling us to. Maybe to accept that job or to reject that job. Maybe to to stay where we are. Maybe step out to the place that you would call us to be. There's so many ways that many of us are trying to discern in this very sanctuary this morning what that next step is to be. So give us enough light to take the next step. 
May you find us, your church, faithful. May we be faithful as we wait. May we be faithful as we take the next step. The same God that was leading Ruth and Boaz and Naomi is the same God who desires to lead us. May you find us faithful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.